Hi, I'm Penelope Prescott, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. This time around, I, Mike Vardy, am joined by Penelope Prescott. She is the author of Five Star Career, Define and Build Yours Using the Science of Quality Management. And if you've listened to me for a while, you know I love qualitative stuff just as much, if not more and quantitative stuff. So we get into that. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation because Penelope's she's a corporate quality management expert. She's an entrepreneur and she's a writer. In her 30 plus year career, she's worked with numerous Fortune 100 pharma companies, including Pfizer, Merck, Lilly, and GlaxoSmithKline, and held leadership position at Novartis, Covance, Wyeth, and Johnson & Johnson. She's also the author of Six Sigma for Business Excellence, which is another area we could go down when it comes to productivity and four novels please love me aberrations centerpieces and dust there's a lot that we get into i really enjoyed this conversation with penelope it did i I didn't know what it was going to be like going into it i'm really glad i didn't because it made the conversation all that more uh joyous so let's get into it here's my conversation with penelope prescott a productive one at that Penelope, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the book that I'm holding in my hands is uh, Five Star Career, Define and Build Yours Using the Science of Quality Management. And I've had a chance to go through the book. And the first thing I'm going to ask right out of the gate (laughs) is um, quality management. I've talked about time management before. Uh, I'm a big fan of attention management, expectation management, but quality management you don't normally hear associated with, let's say, you know, it, it, from a personal vantage point, you normally hear it associated with, hey, I, I've got to talk to this department about the quality of the product I've received and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So why why is quality management such a key component uh, for building a five-star career? So, you know, your 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 point is so... Perfect, because this is what occurred to me, right, throughout my career, um, everything that I was learning as far as, you know, um, in business, how to be productive in my job day to day, of course, my field is quality. Um, So I really began to think, well, hey, this all makes perfect sense. Why are we not, you know, it's a science, it's a proven science. Why are we not applying it to ourselves? And um, certainly now there's so much talk about quality of life. But, you know, it's like, well, hello, you know, (laughs) they're not talking about these concepts and quality management. So um, the reason it's so powerful is because, like you said, it is based on science, right? So it was, um, it evolved out of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and really had sort of a, or does have kind of a STEM, you know, base to it, STEM foundation. And um, so I think perhaps that might be why you know, over time, people didn't tend to make the leap, right, between that and sort of the softer skilled, you know, focus of, you know, personal productivity or um, personal quality. So this is what, you know, I've thought a lot about throughout my entire career, applied to my own life and really, really changed my life. And so, um, you know, I just felt like, okay, now I'm in the position where, I need to, or I can, I need to write about this and see if I can share it with other people. So when people think about productivity, we're going to go down this angle a little bit before we dive into some of the, the key, the key points in the book, 
is people tend, and I've talked about this with a ton of people, especially people I coach, is they get focused on quantitative productivity instead of qualitative productivity. And so when I was going through the book, I'm like, this idea of quality management can maybe gear people towards not necessarily only focusing on qualitative productivity because not everybody has that luxury, right? They can't just, they have to keep in mind quantitative elements as well. So Mm -hmm. can we just kind of explore a little bit the idea of how managing quality does not have to derail the output or the quantity of what people are delivering in work, in life, you know, on both the personal and professional uh, spectrums. Right. Well, it, it's certainly aligned with the idea of producing what you aim to produce. So mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, X number of widgets or, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, X number of reports or, you know, whatever. Sure. So, however... The, the underlying concept is, you know, you could produce 100 widgets, but they might be, you know, crappy widgets. Right. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, and so what's the point, right? right. So, um, you know, people do get hung up, I think, on, you know, how much, you know, like these numbers, metrics, how much they did, um, mm-hmm. how much money they make, um, you know, all these kinds of things. Um well, they're easier. They're easier to comprehend. They're easier to but, understand. They're, they're objective, whereas quality can be subjective for people, right? Right, they are. So, the whole you know foundation of the science quality management speaks to making sure that you produce you know the quantity you want, but that they meet the quality level. So, as you monitor that, you know whether it's in manufacturing or in your life, um, it can help you understand perhaps why you know, you might not be having the result that you truly wanted because you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, I, I put out a hundred reports, you know, why am I not promoted or why, you know, I I wrote a 10 page, you know, business proposal that had all the, you know, the word count and all, I mean, I'm just, you know, making all this up, but you know, all the parts, you know, and everything and sounded great, but you know, I didn't get the I didn't get the work or, you know, it, so, it, it's the same idea of people who say, you know, like I got my email to zero every single day. I got my, yeah, but your job isn't email. Your job is not just only email, right? right? So the right. metrics matter. It, it's not just quantity, but what are you measuring in the first place? Right. Right. So, you, you know, you have to get, once, once you have a goal, you know, a product that you want, you really have to think about, I mean, this is in, in the science quality management Think about what are the um, specifications for that, right? So not just how many or uh, by this date, right? Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's, <clears throat> you know, what are the specifications for the quality of that? So how I talk about this in the book in terms of, you know, uh, applying this to your life or your career is viewing your career as your product. Right. You know, what? what do you want that to be? (laughs) Um, And, you know, where you think about the quantitative, you might say, well, okay, I want, you know, this salary and um, this commute and, you know, this many minutes, this time commute and, you know, all those kinds of things. But that in the end, I think most of us know that those things are great, but that, you know, it's not always what is going to really satisfy you in the end. Well, not only that, but the things that make up the five-star career 
uh, which right. you know is a quantitative measuring st- system to a point. Um, it's built up of all the qualitative stuff. You don't get a five star career if you're just focused on checking off a bunch of boxes, right? Like you're not going to get there. One of the things that you bring up in the book, which we've never really talked about on this program before, is the idea of Six Sigma, which you bring into the the you know the this whole process. I for those that are unfamiliar with Six Sigma, can you just I mean give a bit of a of a of a Cliff's Notes version of it, you know, Crib Notes idea of, hey, this is where Six Sigma can fit in. Because most people, when they have heard of it, they've heard of it in terms of startup or enterprise kind of ideals and not necessarily in, in hey, how do I apply this to my life? Right. So again, Six Sigma originated in manufacturing. So, you know, it has kind of a, well, it does have a, a, a math, right? A math component mm-hmm. where you're looking at specifications of a product. So, you know, for example, this circle needs to be one centimeter, <laughs> you know, that right, kind of thing. Right. Um, so really that has grown into, uh, you know, outside of farm, uh, outside of manufacturing and into, um, ser- you know, service services in terms of, again, just understanding these specifications that you want and figuring out, you know, do you have them, right? So first define them, then you're going to monitor them. Um, You know, you're going to see what might not be meeting those specifications and you're going to improve it. So this is just very high level. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we look at that, and, and let me just say one thing, that that underlying concept of Six Sigma really follows sort of the overall underlying concepts of quality management. Right. So, and I and I wrote a book years ago about how middle management could apply the concepts of Six Sigma in their day to day because I felt like, well, you know, this makes sense. Why, you know, everybody can't go get a Six Sigma certification, black belt, whatever, mm-hmm. but you can do this, right? Sure. So, so now, um, I'll say, you know, applying that to your life. It works. It makes sense in terms of, like I said, defining what you want, what's your product, understanding um, how to produce it, you know, within your system, because this is what, you know, Six Sigma and all these concepts tell us that we're going to work within our system, right? So the manufacturer doesn't say, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to ask the company down the road, I'm going to assume they're going to do this for me. You know, I mean, you can try, but you know, that's not, that's not how it works. Right. So in our lives, it shouldn't really work like that either. I mean, maybe your grandma or your um, friend or your boss or whoever will help you, of course. Um, But, you know, we can't make decisions about our lives and uh, strategies based on what other, what we think or want to get other people to do for us. Or, you know, and the flip side is blaming other people, right? Right. We don't have control of them. It, you know, even if somebody does something and, you know, sometimes, yeah, okay, it's maybe somebody's fault. But it doesn't really help you at all to go forward. You know, what are you going to do about it? You know, so I don't know. Mike got, got a little off track with No, 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 but- no. But, but I think <laughs> what's interesting is you also bring up in the book, and this is something that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the idea of systems and culture – um, they develop whether you want them to or not. And I, what I found when I read that part in the book was like people, 
in my experience, they either lean into systems or they run away from them. They're like, this seems too constrictive, you know, or, and it's because, um, again, and I'm generalizing here, uh, adopting a system without proof that it's going to work right out of the gate. Again, quantitative versus qualitative is hard to, 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 for the brain to kind of go, Oh, this'll work. I've just got to give it time to kind of, you know, take hold, right? You talk about borders and fences a little bit later, which we'll get to, but mm-hmm. why, how, how do you help somebody who wants to apply this kind of thing, but they are so, um, not phobic of systems, but they are just so uh, against the concept of, well, I, if I systematize my life, there's no room for spontaneity. It's too rigid. Like, you know, uh, I can't, I can't possibly, it doesn't leave room for breathing. I feel like I do that at work all the time. So, you know, uh, you know, if I apply right. this wholeheartedly or whole, a wholesale, mm-hmm. how, how do I make sure that I don't feel like I'm a human being instead of a human doing right. Which again, right. these are all false biases and, 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 mm-hmm. and thought processes, but they're very real ones. Well, I think you have to, I hope, I hope I address this in the book. I think the key is to understand the difference between systematic, right? And really what it means, what I'm, what I'm referring to as systems. So a system could be, you know, your home, your, your home is a system. There's systems going on, right? Right. And, you know, all systems are not rigid. Yeah. So if I know it's kind of, it's a little hard to, you know, I took a lot of time to explain it in the book. Now, you, so you have a whole chapter called, you, you, have, you have a whole but, thing called claim your system, which I think is, right. and that's the so, thing. It's not to, to it's that your end. your system. Yeah, it's like you, you're going to make it what you want, but right. the, the point is it's not somebody else's system. So right. <laughs> you're not going to depend on somebody else. You're going to look at your world. It's kind of like the whole idea of your, um, scope of influence or, you know, you're not influence, but, um, scope of control, uh, the locus, the locus of control idea. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, like the people that might say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a systems thinker or person because, you know, I think they feel like it's a bunch of other people's systems closing them in. Right. But, but that's not it at all. Right. They need to find that what is their system, what aspects of their life, What's their power to make decisions? What can they change? What do they have to accept because they can't change it? That's all part of the system that you can work within to make decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have to be boxed in. You shouldn't be boxed in by anybody. You know, if you choose to go along with someone else or make a decision based on someone else, you know, you care about your kids or whatever, that's your choice. You know, you have that choice. And I think it sounds in a way very fundamental, but I know for me, it was very, it took me so many years to really see that and realize, you know, the personal power that I had and that I'm allowed to have. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think even people that grew up knowing they have personal power, you know, you get involved in your career and all these things, then you just, you, you can start to feel boxed in, you know? So it's kind of like, you have to say, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, um, what am I doing? Well, and, and the thing is you do bring up the idea of borders versus fences, which I think is like, it's, it's not like they're permanent. They move. I mean, even the, the framework time crafting that I teach with time management, like people are 
I say it's called time crafting for a reason. Um, you're constantly going to, it, it's a constantly evolving thing. You actually mentioned the idea, this is actually right near the beginning of the book, the idea of life, people saying life's a process. And you're like, mm-hmm. and you kind of, you, you, I wouldn't say you like go, no, you don't wholesale say it's not, but you do make people think about that. Can you go, can we circle back to that idea of life might not be as much of a process as people would like to think that it is, or when they get that advice, well, life's a process, like, well, hold up, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, you know, the word process has a definition. Mm-hmm. And if you think about life, you know, it, it really does not fit the definition of process. You know, process is sort of a planned out um sequential activity that results in something within a system. Well, you know, we can't, I mean, we can plan, but theoretically overall in life, I mean, we, there's so many things we have no control over. Like that's, you know, that's not our process. (laughs) So when things go wrong too, people say, well, life's a process. It's fine. I learned something. I mean, it is wonderful. You should learn from everything, but you know, that can be slowing you down because you're viewing, it's almost like giving away your power again. It's like saying, well, you know, the gods willed it, you know, and I mean, right. right. You know, nothing nothing wrong with having faith in like, you know, a a guide or, or, or or spirituality or anything in place, but it it can, again, it can take hold in so many different ways. The idea of, of just complacency, right? Right. And I, and I didn't mean my comment. No, 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 no. I know you didn't. I know you didn't, but people, but there are different ways that people can uh, complacency can kind of be justified. We can figure out ways to quote, quote, crap, rationalize this stuff (laughs) and saying, well, life's a process or it's a process or another thing that, you know, and again, going back, well, this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way we do it. There's another example of complacency right there. Right. So, so my take on it, and I feel it's really, you know, backed up by this proven science of quality management is that your life right now, your career as it is right at the second Mm -hmm. is really the product of whatever process you've had. So people might say, well, I I have a good process, but I'm still not where I want to be. Or, well, I don't have a process. You know, what do you mean? <laughs> but really, you do have a process. You've been doing something. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the key is to understand what, you know, you have been doing, what you've been doing recently, um, and really explore that and see, you know, what you can learn from that. Um, you know, many people like me, I've always been a very contemplative person, you know, it's, uh, not, not in a self-centered way, but just kind of always thinking, you know, why did I do that? Or what, you know, and, um, but some people are just, are not so much like that, you know, they just don't have that. So, um, part of one thing in my book I talk about, and I offer is I have this downloadable tool on my website to kind of help people go through that process because the point I make in the book is, you know, what you've done until now is, is really kind of your data, right? It's your story, your data that you can kind of explore to figure out maybe what your process has been, you know, and, and, and it sounds crazy a bit, but it's almost also like not having a process is kind of a process too. (laughs) It's just like a bad process Mm -hmm. or, you know, And it's not that you can't change, like you said, but, um, you know, it's all about really understanding yourself, right? And 
how you got to today, which is sort of the product of your life. You know, if you were to die today, you would say, you know, that's it. Right. right. <laughs> that, that's what I did. This yep. is it. Um, hopefully we're not, but, um, you know, it's really important to think about what, what do you want that to be? And, you know, you have the power to, to make it happen. Um, and, you know, another aspect of it that ties in with quality management is you say, well, okay, I got a plan. I got somewhat of a process. I'm going to, you know, what am I going to do when something goes wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, quality management shows us that we can, um, you know, how we can handle that in terms of identifying when something goes wrong and trying to get to the root cause and make decisions around it. Right. And I think that's a big key to the whole thing. And I talk about that a lot in the book. Another thing you touch on, and, and I touched on this with, uh, with uh, Jason Goldsmith in our conversation for an episode of the podcast, is the idea of how elite athletes train. Mm. And the idea of, and, and one of the key points you bring up, like you might call it training, but <laughs> again, we lean back into quality management. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because I think when people are looking to, again, model behavior, and, and they look to, I was actually listening to, um, this podcast called The Plot Thickens, which is uh, based on, it's a, I think, a Turner Classic Movies podcast. And they were talking about Lucille Ball, and that was the most recent season. Fantastic. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but uh, the the host, Ben Mankiewicz, was interviewing Aaron Sorkin because he just uh, created a, a movie uh, called Being the Ricardos, which was based mm -hmm. on uh, Lucille Ball being um, basically accused of being a communist. And one of the things that came up was... Uh, the reason that this was – she was outed, and, I mean, again, it got – I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but if you want to know the story, go listen to that podcast. But the idea was is Sorkin brought up, like, celebrity has had influence for a long time. So people pay attention to what people of influence, elite athletes, celebrities do. So when it comes to, like, elite athletes who train, you know, the 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 Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the Michael Phelps – um, people go, well, I want to be, I want to get to that level of success. I want to be that Olympic athlete. I want to be that world champion. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit. The, no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> of, of where quality management fits in and how it might be called training, but it's actually quality management kind of masquerading in, in a, in a right. manner of speaking. Right. And, you know, I, I was never a very sporty child <laughs> or I, I, person. I raising um, my hand here as yeah. well. <laughs> um, but I, you know, uh, one of our daughters is an elite athlete. She's a um, Division One athlete for Stanford University. So ever since she could walk, you know, she's been just training and training and training and doing all these kinds of things. And um, it it really taught me a lot just watching her, you know, and inspired me. And and uh, so that's kind of my personal connection with with what I'm about to say. But you know, I, I realize in sports, you know, there's so many parallels when you look at, you know, success and how to gain success. And it just at a real high level, it is quality management because it's so easy with athletics to understand it. So, you know, someone wants the gold medal or the prize. They're, they're very specific. That's what I want. I want to win that competition or, you know, they figure out what they got to do, whether it's years or this year or whatever to get there. And when they fail, you know, along the way, they literally discuss with their coach. I mean, if they keep going and they're good, you know, whatever, 
you know, what happened? What mm-hmm. went wrong? They really dig in and say, what is the root cause? Like my daughter's a high jumper. So it could be very, very, some little detail, you know, it's like, do you have to drive your knee a little higher? You know, I mean, it's right, right. Very, I mean, very really subtle, into, subtle, nuanced movements right. can change everything. Then, right. And then of course they practice, practice, practice. Um, so really, you know, that, that right there is quality management mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, very different from the message of, oh, well, you know, I know you want to win that competition, just keep trying, you know, uh, you failed, get right back up there. I mean, all that stuff is very important. Or, or even Nike's just do it. Like people go, oh, right. just do it. That's all I have to do is just do it. No, right. and, <laughs> that's a slogan. And, it, it's d- designed to motivate you, but it's not going to necessarily, there's right. other things that go into it, Right. Right. And I, and all that's, that's very important too. But I think for our personal lives, if we're not athletes, I think that we tend to focus on that part of it. You know, right. I just got to keep going. I, I did my best and life's a process and I got to get back up and, you know, but that's why people get frustrated because you could just get up and up and up and up and it just still doesn't work. And, you know, to me, this whole concept or really science of quality management to me, it's just like, Oh, you know, here's the answer for everybody. Why are we not talking about this? (laughs) You know? So, um, it really tells us what to do to, to produce the quality that we want. And that's what athletes do. So as we get close to wrapping up here, I want to touch on let's, let's, let's again, go back to the biases that people have about systems and, and processes. And by the way, people, <clears throat> whenever you were touching on earlier, like processes, there's a reason we, people have SOPs and standard operating procedures. Like the reason they have those in place is because it gives them a benchmark or a guideline to go off of checklists, to-do lists, all this stuff. Like that's why this mm-hmm. stuff is there. We use to-do lists for the very same reason in our own lives as well. Right. And, and, sure. and, and what drives me nuts with some people is like, I live by the calendar. Like my calendar is so chock full of stuff. I know exactly when I'm going to do when, uh, I'm hyper scheduled and you address in the book, the idea of curveballs and surprises, right? This idea of, of, uh, and there's two different types of, um, and, I, and I'm trying to, I'm just going to go back a little bit here. Uh, the idea of, um, the curveballs, but also surprises when you talk about common cause variations and special mm. cause variations. But I know for a fact that people, when they hear process or they hear procedure, they're like, yeah, but what if something happens? What if there's a surprise? What if someone throws me a curveball? And this is your chance, Penelope, to say, well, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've taken these into account. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So you're absolutely going to have curveballs and you're going to have surprises. You know, that's just the way it is. That's the reality. So in quality management, they accept that. They say, okay, we know this is going to happen. So first of all, in decision-making and developing processes, uh, you know, risk assessment and risk management is so important up front because when you make a decision, you, you know, you think about, well, what are the risks that I can uh, really identify or think about and how can I, kind, what can I do to maybe help, you know, make those things not occur, right? So that's one just kind of a thought process. And um, but when curveballs come in 
in industry and in manufacturing and in, in service industry, whatever, you know, I'm from the farm industry. Um, we do what's called a, usually a, a CAPA. So corrective and preventative action we have to come up with. So we say, okay, this happened. Uh, what happened? You know, we make sure we understand it. Of course we have to document it. You don't have to do that you know, necessarily right. in your life, but um, then we, explore the root cause. So we really try to get down to, you know, why did this happen? Um, could it have been prevented? Um, what can we do to prevent it from happening next time? How can we correct it? All of those kinds of things. And the key is, it sounds kind of childish, but we are not allowed to blame, <laughs> right? In business, in, you know, in manufacturing and business, you're not allowed to blame your buddy or your other department. Mm -hmm. You just cannot do that. I mean, and I work in a regulated industry. Right. So this is where, you know, my experience comes from. Uh, you know, if the FDA or someone is looking at that and it says, well, you know, the data management department is, you know, screwed up. I mean, come on, that's, you know, you're not going to do that. So you really have to think about what happened in terms of, it doesn't matter whose fault it was, what are you going to do about it? what's in your control in your system to correct it. So this is the the kind of thinking that we can do in our own lives, right? So that's one thing. Um now there are it's it well it goes across whether it's something maybe that you did anticipate or you know that could happen mm -hmm. or just total total out of your control uh you know like the weather, right? right you know. Right. I mean just, you know, you can't I mean what are you going to do, you know? Uh, so you approach it the same way. You say, well, this happened. Now, what am I going to do? What are my options? Uh, what are the risks associated with each of those options? And then, you know, going further on a personal level, well, this is true in business too. You know, can I accept that risk or that consequence? Uh, no. If you say no, then yep. you're not doing it. You know, like, okay. Right. I lost my job for no reason that was my own and I could move somewhere and do this job. Do I really want to move my kids in high school? No, I'm not willing to do that. Right. You know, um, but you know, if you just go through that process and all your options and you know, and I could go on and on about it, but there's also, I talk in the book about how people feel sometimes that they don't have any options, <laughs> but you always have options. Sometimes it's just that you don't, your mind doesn't want to think about that option because you don't want to accept it for whatever reason. There's discomfort. There's, you know, right. I mean, people have said to me like, I, you know, I, there's no way I could do what you do. You up and quit your job and now you run your own business, but I've got a mortgage. I'm like, I had a mortgage. I had this, I had that. Right. So, so, so what are you, yeah. what are you willing to do? You know, right. what, are, what, what consequences are you willing to accept? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it might be, well, I don't want that consequence, but, you know, I could do this to help with that. You know, I mean, it's just this kind of thinking makes perfect sense to a lot of people, but then there's a lot of other people that just don't think like that. I didn't learn or naturally think like that growing up. And so that's why this whole thing impacted me so much. Um, Isn't it funny that I we think, end up teaching what we need to learn the most in a lot of cases? <laughs> I know, I know. And it it just made such a difference for me because I, I grew up kind of, I always say, without the toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I heard all those things about, you know, keep trying, be positive, 
get your education. I mean, I was doing all of these things, but I really needed kind of a, a you know, a system, a foundation for decision-making and, you know. Well, what's, what's fascinating about this and what you go over in the book, and again, the book is called Five Star Career, Define and Build Yours Using the Science of Quality Management, is that there is, while there is, you know, this idea of a science behind quality management, it's far from formulaic in a lot of ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. most people, if, if anything, and you bring this up in the book, we are following a formula or a system or quote, a process already by what you just said. Well, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, you have a, yep. and I didn't do that. And people are, people are floored when they say, so what's your alma mater? I'm like St. Mary's Catholic high school. And, and, and they're like, wait, right. what? I'm like, yeah, most of what I learned was through the school of life. And a lot right. of my education was at Costco and then just studying on my own because you don't learn about time management in school mm-hmm. at all. I mean, the bell no. is the closest thing. So again, it, it's, um, that's what I loved about going through the book. And one of the things you bring up, and I want to touch on this as we wrap up is you say in the book, and this is exactly what people need to hear. I think as we wrap up a five-star career is worth the time and effort it takes to create and maintain it. So can you, as we wrap up, expand just upon that briefly? It's a very succinct and it nails it on the head. But for someone who is struggling or wants to get there, other than picking up the book, what's the first step they could take to start going down that path? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, it's all about, I think, being willing to be humble and really explore your own past in your life and and what you have done with your time that you've had like you know you've described a very different path than you know maybe I took and we there is no correct path right that's the thing there is no system that you have to follow you know this is a situation where you're going to create it yourself and nobody can stop you right you have the human right to make decisions And so you have to, I think the first step is really, really thinking about that and, and trying to embrace that. And then you can go read my book (laughs) and then it'll help you. Hopefully. I mean, I really want to help people that I I know this, you know, I know this information is going to help people. I mean, you know, maybe not everybody, but anybody no, there, there, there's something for everybody in this book the, yeah it's five-star career define and build yours using the science of quality management penelope thanks so much for taking the time to join me today and have a productive conversation with me thank you so much i enjoyed it big thanks to penelope for joining me on the program you can find out more about her all the links everything not just by looking at the podcast app you're using right now but by going to productivityscom slash podcast four two nine While you're using that podcast app right now, subscribe to the show. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. I'll I'll get back to that in a second because we're in the summer months now and there's a bit of a difference of programming with a productive conversation during the summer. But before we do that, if you want to support the show in another way, visit our podcast sponsors page. Go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. You'll find all our sponsors listed there as well as some of the ones you heard from today during the conversation with Penelope. Now, back to what the summer months hold for a productive conversation. During the summer months, July and August, here where I live, the kids are out of school, and I take a bit of time off from doing live episodes. Now, don't worry, we've got a lot more coming down the pipeline. I I think we've got the rest of 2022 booked at this point. 
But during the summer months, we're doing one week from the vault and one week that's a fresh new episode. So you'll get between July and August, every other week will be an episode that I'm bringing back to the fore, you know, bringing it out of the vault and bringing it to your attention once again. And next week is an example of that. I have Dexter Guff, a.k.a. Peter Oldring, or maybe Peter Oldring, a.k.a. Dexter Guff, uh, back on the show from an episode that we had from several several years ago. And it's a fun conversation. Um, and it actually speaks to my sensibilities of how I got started in the productivity and time management space. So you don't want to miss that one. Uh, so again, subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come, as well as you can search through the archives simply and easily. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. And until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.